Folks, take it from me, NBA legend Bill Walton. Like all great experiments in American history, the 3 and D Love podcast will revolutionize your life. Welcome to the 3 and D Love NBA podcast. Thanks for joining us, and I'm your host, Michael Eaney. We're joined, as always, by the brother, Ryan Eaney, and, of course, our namesake, the venerable D-Love, Derek Lovegren. Here we go. Thank you, Michael. Okay, NBA friends, another week is in the books as teams continue jockeying for playoff positioning in what promises to be a riveting final month or so of the season. But first, we had a few standout individual performances last week as Jason Tatum and Zach Levine each went for 50 points, and Enos Cantor became the second coming of Wilt Chamberlain, scoring 24 points and getting 30 rebounds and putting an end to my fantasy season along the way. But it's Blazers first. I think I ref- I think I think said it earlier in the season that he was the second coming of Bill Russell in a game, so I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Being consistent. You got Russell, you got Chamberlain. I think the playoffs will be the, the second coming of Jim McElvain. So it'll, we'll go three for three. Oh, ooh. See, I was thinking George Mikan is the third, but okay. <laughs> might be more appropriate. Somebody from the Eastern League. <laughs> <laughs> nice one. But move over Ben Simmons. There is a new big point guard in the league. The Pelicans gave over the point guard reins to Zion Williamson over the weekend. In another brilliant strategy move by Stan Van Gundy, <laughs> the master the master plan move from get the ball to Zion and get out of the way to immediately get the ball to Zion and get out of the way. I told you, you guys, you can't underestimate Stan. He's a genius. Don't sleep on Stan. <laughs> but maybe Ben Simmons can take some notes since his play in the last month has also contributed to my fantasy team downfall but again i digress uh, there in a timely return for the lakers andre drummond found his missing toenail and helped lead the lakers to a critical road win over the brooklyn nets the toenail i i don't write the news guys i I just embellish it (laughs) (laughs) speaking of the nets he just he just owned i mean he just that was a pretty ugly game. <laughs> like, he owned Aldridge. Yeah, <laughs> and a critical win for them. Shocking. You're, you're telling me a 35-year-old big guy wasn't the difference maker? Oh, man. This is becoming a confirmation bias, so Michael will disregard, like, all the the good things that Aldridge has done. Yeah, that's true. And just point to everything that is, that's not and say he's old. That is, that is spot on. <laughs> what, what's, what is the get off my get out of my backyard, get off my yard equivalent for a millennial? Is it, like, get off my fixed wheel bicycle? Like, what, 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 what do we have for Michael? Give me multifamily density or give me death. <laughs> <laughs> get off my... Uh, you know, 19th century mustache. So. <laughs> Speaking of the Nets, Kevin Durant recently gave a sit-down interview and discussed how after winning a couple of championships, his real goal is to just be the best version of himself on the court. <laughs> Off the court, he will continue to be cantankerous, <laughs> withdrawn, and relentless in mo- mocking actor Michael Rappaport. <laughs> <laughs> 
be the best Kevin Durant he can be. Oh, man. I mean, would you guys be shocked if in like five years it came out that Kevin Durant was just just living into a bit the last five years and then like the future five years? Like it was just a decade-long millennial bit of of him trying to assume a certain role in – you know, the, in the nice guy NBA, he decided to just turn heel like he was like a he was a pro wrestler or something. I think something legitimately broke him when he was villainized <laughs> going to the Warriors. I think like things started to shift at some point in Oklahoma City. Like I remember there was an assistant coach that at one point like took Duran aside and was like, your negativity is really doing damage to the squad. Like you need to stop. You need to treat people better. And then Durant like took that to heart at the time. This was a while ago. In Oklahoma city. In Oklahoma city. Was it Kevin Ollie? Was it him? I can't remember who it was. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But he really like, he, he really (laughs) had to sit down with Durant and Durant listened to him. He said, be as positive as you can on the floor. And that means you can be as negative as you want off the floor. That's right. He just sort of compartmentalized all of that <laughs> and kind of shifted that. It. No, Kevin, but we talked about me. it. It's like it, a, a Kevin Durant without social media. Like, is the way we think about him more different? I mean, like, let's say he still goes to the Warriors, so we still have that substantive critique of him. But the, like, social media aspect of it definitely has – you know, made that even more like his response, his negativity, I mean, the stuff with Rappaport. I mean, it's just like, just, you know, I don't want to know all this about you. Like, just like, just play basketball, man. <laughs> like, I don't need to know all about this stuff. The first I remember seeing of this is when he was on, he, he was on Bill Simmons podcast. And this was also years ago. This was pre-Warriors. And he just seemed really cold and like frustrated with, Simmons questions and just kind of non-responsive and and that was the first time I was like something's kind of switched in Duran (laughs) (laughs) it all comes back to the trade of James Harden by Sam Presti if that if he he hadn't traded Harden Durant would have kept that fun-loving attitude yes that's further back further back if it wasn't for the budget constraints for a team in Oklahoma City, and instead they had the budget constraints of a team in the great emerald city of Seattle, none of this would have ever happened. No. Let's even go back further. If he had been drafted first by the Portland Trailblazers, oh, he would have. He would be a multiple time champion. Portland would love. He was perfect for yes. Portland. Him and CJ could be hanging yes. out. You know, he would have a voodoo donut. <laughs> he would have loved Portland. And we Is that still a thing. I don't know. I haven't lived in Portland in 20 years. <laughs> I do think it's it makes you appreciate LeBron's sort of quirkiness and his like dad, his dad jokes that he sort of lives into on the Internet to a certain degree. You kind of you kind of appreciate that he has like a bunch of little kids, you know, are grown or mostly grown kids now, I guess, at this point that he like focuses on. He's a little less, you know, of the Internet. Uh, than than a guy like Durant is. I mean, you forget they're only they're only four years apart in age, right? Four or five years. Uh, it's it's just wild to me that you know you, having multiple layers of focus. It seemingly has helped a guy like LeBron. You know, he's tweeting about Taco Tuesday with his family, right? His like kids' high school basketball games when he misses the playoffs for the first time in a decade. You know, and meanwhile, Durant's doing what Durant does. You know, I think it's there's a testament to some balance it's, there. Yeah. It's called, 
it's called hey rich or whatever his name is like his business manager hire a social media intern yeah. make them make them do the tweets it's like whenever trump's tweets like they would like change and it was clearly not in his voice and someone <laughs> someone had been like tweeting for him and then he like grabbed it back and you're like oh he's back here he goes it'd be like the funny part with durant though is it's actually all of his ghost accounts, you would know them too. <laughs> You'd be yeah, like, that's this right. guy, yeah, this guy's really nice. It was like uh, Colangelo in Philadelphia, right? Where he, him and his or his wife were like tweeting in support oh, yeah. of all of his trades and everything. Yeah, just I, I, I do wonder if like being stuck with Westbrook those few years sort of broke him though too, because like he doesn't seem like someone who's able to like sort of deal with conflict directly or like confrontation because clearly like the way Westbrook was playing was like not the best right when he was with Durant those last couple years like he was just he was dom he was the dominant like ball handler and player on that team and and you had Durant who's like the greatest scorer of the generation he's not like the fulcrum of the offense and like I think Durant may have been looking around going like wait, what is anyone going to speak up here? You know, cause he doesn't want to be that guy. And I think that stuff just built up in him and maybe he was always to this history that way. But I agree. I like some of those interviews, he just kind of has taken the, like, well, I don't really care what anyone thinks. Like I'll just do, it's like, it's almost like another, if the way he came in the league and acted was maybe not fully who he is, isn't like this is either. And you're like, just like trying hard to be cool and hard and like kind of it's just different. I'm just surprised by it, but I mean, he's still amazing. But like the stuff that's come out recently, it's just like man, you know, it's just too much info. I don't want to know. Like I don't know want to know like where you get your coffee on Saturdays. I don't want to know <laughs> that like the stars are just like us. Like please, <laughs> they they go, <laughs> you know, they sort of lose it sometimes. So, yeah, I think just, I think uh, Durant could be. Uh... When personality types won't delve into this too much, but there's a, an enneagram personality type. It's uh, called the peacemaker, and you try to you want to avoid conflict, um, but the problem is if if you avoid conflict, then things build up and you suppress them, and then they yes. come out in other ways, like uh, becoming bitter and uh, mad at the world type thing. <laughs> no, I, I, you know, it's as good a theory as any. I, I do think, like the dynamic in Oklahoma City. And it's 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 funny to say this, but like like Harden, like we're seeing it in with the Nets, right? He kind of has a different personality than Durant, right? He he has like he just kind of doesn't care. He actually doesn't care. Like I feel like Durant tries to come across like he doesn't care, but he actually really does care because he gets on these like uh, other Twitter accounts and jumps on and engages, and he's like very engaging person. Um, and super interesting. Like his, his takes of life and stuff are mm. very interesting. He's very introspective. Like he's a super smart guy. Like it's really interesting, but I don't know. I just think that that's right. I think it built up over time and he was just like, I'm out of here, you know? And, and then I think it's the same thing happened in, in golden state to your point, right? You avoid conflict, avoid conflict. Then the stuff happens with dream on the bench, like, you know, and it's like, it just kind of comes out and it's kind of ugly. And it's like, everyone's trying to avoid especially him and then there was the uh the hedonistic adaptation that we've been talking about for weeks that came into play <laughs> when you win your titles and your and your finals mvp and uh you find out it wasn't what it was all cracked up to be although uh he probably still he's just trying to be his champion. best self d just just his best well no self. that's what he's shifting is it's not about individual accolades and building up trophies because obviously that does not fulfill you so now he's 
it's actually a pretty profound statement. I just made yeah, it. that's what I'm yeah. saying. He actually is. It actually <laughs> wait, is like wait, he has wait. A, it's profound that he's shifting his focus from team success to personal accolades in the context of basketball. I mean, I would give no, 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 accolades. I would give him this credit if he was evolving himself as a, as a, as a human being, in his own perspective. But the idea he's basically trying to figure out if he could be the best, you know, forward of all time. I mean, that's the way I interpret his assessment of where he's at. He's like, ah, oh, championships will come or they'll go. But if I can, you know, outdo LeBron and Larry Bird, then I'm going to be, I'll be satisfied with my career trajectory. I mean, that to me just is, is a reassignment of where his focus is going to lie. I see your point, Michael. There's just two things I got to say here. Okay. Well, first of all, I'm going to give you a little uh, Denzel Washington analogy. When Denzel Washington did his, his <laughs> acceptance speech for best actor, he said, when I started acting, I wanted to be the best actor in the world. And now my goal is just to be the best that I can be. And so you're, you're shifting it. You're just trying to optimize your potential. You're not getting caught up in the accolades because that can actually keep you from being the best that you can be. So, but the second part to your point is, yes, we would like him to apply similar concepts to his humanity and also try to be the best version of himself <laughs> off the court. So that's a fair point. I mean, no, I I'm like with, to, oh, go ahead, Ryan. No, I'm with D. I, I just feel like it comes across as sort of a little like he's been spending too much time with Kyrie. But at the same at the same time, he's saying, like, I can't control like I can't control anything beyond myself and like what I'm. You know, I'm going to be the best I can be. I mean, it, it is like these cliches about sports that are actually like there's actually true. It's like like if you can apply, you know, you know, things like acceptance and like, you know, sort of being able to focus on today, being able to focus on this moment and like being the best I can be in this moment and accepting all the things I cannot change. Right. I mean, not to go sort of, you know fully off the NBA trajectory here, but I do think it's, it's super important. And I think it actually shows his introspection and maturity. It, but again, it comes across in like the awkward Durant way where, you know, if he just reframes it and is like, you know, it was, it was amazing. I, you know, you know, I wanted to win these titles. That's all I really cared about, you know, and, and just did the Denzel quote, you know, it's like kind of formatted it that way. I think it'd be taken differently. I think you're right, Michael. He he needs to go lighthearted. Like a smile when he does interviews would would help, uh, because he just he's got the kind of a stole, stone cold persona right now that is not not playing well. I mean, I'm I'm all for people's journey in their process, and I also need to recognize that it's like well, we're hopeful that his next step is I'm going to be a little less engaging on my burner accounts in the future. Like, <laughs> I mean, guys, we're talking. We're, we're talking about an NBA player evaluating whether he wants to focus on championships or personal growth for, as a player. I mean, it's just not, you know, this is not, uh, you know, John Gottman going on here or anything crazy like that. <laughs> given a given a Gottman call out, I, you know, I, I do think whatever he's saying is working because he came back from like, you know, horrible injury. It dominated the first part of the season. He's been on the shelf for a while, came back, you know, had an amazingly efficient just came right back where he was, you know, in his first game back. So, you know, whatever he's doing, whatever he's telling himself, you know, is working for him. Yeah, he realized the superficiality of just uh, of chasing trophies. I, I don't know why Michael can't see that, but um, 
You know, <laughs> I mean, I'll say this: I'm most looking forward to Kevin Durant's disappointment in winning his third title this summer. I mean, he's just going to be so bummed on the podium. He he and St- he and Steve Kerr do. Del- del- deserve each other though steve kerr loved his year when he was last place in the league and durant doesn't like the championships either did anyone besides clay thompson enjoy the championships in golden state or are they all over it curry enjoyed himself i think i mean it goes to the point though i mean if durant had won in oklahoma city would he have felt would he be saying the same thing i mean that was the argument against it like him leaving was oh, it's not going to be a real championship. Now, it was a real championship that they won. I mean, they were incredible during those seasons he was there. But clearly, I mean, I wonder if that's part of it too, right? Like, would he be saying the same thing if he didn't, like, you know, it wasn't like, you know, Anakin Skywalker going to the dark side. <laughs> you know, it's like... Good point. to the conference. <laughs> it was you. You were the chosen one. Um, so, yeah, it's just, I think... It's part of his his journey. That's what's so fascinating about this team is that him and Kyrie connecting, who are both just like such unique dudes, you know, artistic guys like that are like kind of operating in a different level. I mean, that does doesn't it sound like what Kyrie would say? I mean, I think that's the type of thing Kyrie would say. You know, it's just hey, like I'm just trying to be the best version of me I can be, and you know, this other stuff doesn't matter and. I don't know. It's just it's just an interesting. I think they're having a lot a 21st of 21st century dynamic. Yeah, they're having a lot of fireside chats. Uh, you know, spend enough time with someone, it, it rubs off on you. So well, again, I just I just crack up about the idea of that locker room where where Durant and Kyrie are got to be waxing eloquently about all of their f- philosophical ideals, and and Harden's just quiet for about 20 <laughs> minutes after after post game, <laughs> and then at some point he just pipes up and goes. All right, you guys ready to roll to the club? <laughs> and then they all leave. No, it's actually it's actually Kyrie and Durant are having those deep conversations on the bench while Harden's leading them, yes. <laughs> leading them and their like their supporting cast to win after win before he got hurt. Hey, so. hey Kev, um, let's just play some ball, guys. <laughs> I passed the twelfth time. I passed a Nick Claxton. How how about you get back in here, bud? <laughs> Hey, guys, I still have some more monologue material to do here. Keep it going. Keep it going. <laughs> Not much more. Um, All right, let's move to trivia, guys. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I don't have a good segue for this now. But back to our uh, our top tier teams. The Utah Jazz remained first in the Western Conference. Uh, Donovan Mitchell had a big game Saturday night. And he credited Joe Ingles trash-talking with the Sacramento Kings players as a source of motivation during the game. Don't know if you heard this, which begs the question, what do the Sacramento Kings have to talk trash about? <laughs> I, w- one thing on the jazz though, that it does concern me um, is, is Donovan Mitchell kind of getting beyond the sweet spot of his ball dominance. So, He's had, I mean, he's having an amazing, he's shooting like 47% from the field, which is incredible being like a small guard who takes a lot of shots and a lot of tough shots, like a lot of playoff type shots. Like it's, he's, he's, he's having a great year, but I just get really worried about him. He's actually like my, I know there's the worry about who can guard on the perimeter other than Royce O'Neal, who can, um, like, can they, you know, can their offense hold up against switching defenses? There's lots of concerns. My biggest concern 
like watching them recently and, and, and primarily in the Phoenix game is just that he, Mitchell is so ball dominant that it, it just sort of the efficiency returns of him having the ball in his hand so much and taking tough shots. It, it really like has diminishing returns and I don't understand, like, why don't they have the ball in Mike Conley's hand more? I mean, I think that came up actually on, on that telecast. Mike Conley is incredible. I just don't understand why he's not the point guard. You know, I, I think Mitchell's the point guard because he can score like that. They, they have to have a guy like that. He's the closest they have to, like, a Kawhi or a Doncic or someone who can hit those types of shots. So he's incredibly important. But I, I, I just, you know, it, it, it's – I think he needs to take a step or two back, and I, I like to see Conley have the ball in his hands more, let Mitchell play off the ball more, and maybe do more of what he's doing late in the game because it's just he has a lot of lines where he's like seven for twenty-one, right? Yeah. And it's just that's not when they're at their best. It's like Mike Conley is like an incredibly efficient scorer. He's always making the right plays, and that's where they just really, I think, had their run. And he was hurt for part of it, but it's just when he has the ball in his hands and then Mitchell's coming off of that, I think that's where they get really scary. But I, I just get concerned. But w- what are you guys seeing with the Jazz? Well, I think it's a fascinating take because it is – I think I heard on this a podcast is that his five highest volume shooting nights this year, they've all been in losses. So he kind of gets into this gunner gunner mentality i mean i think d Dar- joe ingles should have talked some trash tonight because uh the the jazz did lose to the vaunted washington wizards and mitchell also shot 30 only three games back only three games out of the playoff chase. out of the play uh mitchell did shoot 32 times and attempted 12 free throws and went for 42 points so you know he was 14 for 32 not exactly a particularly efficient night but a, a but a, a very high usage night and was you know, plus eight uh, in his plus minus. So it's not a horrible performance, but certainly probably not what you're looking for, Ryan, to your point. Well, that that's a good like, If he can do that, that's great. But it's just those nights where, like, he misses four or five more of those, like, pull-up threes or kind of tough jumpers and doesn't get the line as much. And then it's like, I don't think Utah can survive playoff games against the Western Conference like, I just kind of wonder if he goes seven for 21, seven for 28 for 23. Like, I think that's an automatic loss to your point, Michael. It's like if he if he struggles, if he has those games, he can shoot them out of games and they don't have they don't have the margin for that. And I, I, I just don't get why Quinn Snyder isn't getting the ball in Conley's hands more. And I know he's been hurt. I know it's Mitchell's team and Gobert's team to a certain degree. And there's a lot of different things going on, but it's just a weird dynamic this year of just NBA coaches. You know, we're laughing about earlier NBA coaches, not getting the ball in their best players hands enough. Like haven't we learned that from the last like decade of, you know, seeing Harden in, in, in Houston, seeing, um, seeing LeBron, seeing these other guys, it's like you get your best players, the ball in their hands all the time. Like who cares who the point guard is? It's just get them the ball in their hands all the time. I mean, to your joke earlier, love, it's like, you know, now it's even earlier, get, get the ball and get out of the way for Zion. And it, it should be the same thing with Mike Conley. Like, why doesn't, why don't you just have the ball in his hands more and let everyone play off of it? I just, do you guys understand? Like when you see this stuff, like what is going, I mean, Stan Van Gundy is a, like, he's an, he's a longtime coach. Again, he was like rev- a revolutionary coach early in his career, still incredibly capable, like sees what's going on. Um, Quinn Snyder is 
you know, probably the coach of the year or shortlisted for it. Like, what are these guys missing? Like, where they don't get the ball in the guy's hands that actually can do the most with it the most efficiently? Well, I, don't th- I, th- I think the dangerous part is the relative game that can get played here, which is, well, if you're the best dynamic offensive player, then you should be the guy with the ball in your hands all the time. It's sort of the same idea that every team should have a max contract player, right? There's only 10 max contract guys in the league, but every team, you know, at least every players aspire to, to be a max guy on their team because maybe they're the best player on their team. But I would argue that Quinn Snyder and the Utah Jazz, the problem is, is that because Mitchell is the best offensive player on the team and, and that all regards to the few, the other guys there, but he's the best player on the team. So then he, he falls into this trap of a, of a bit hero ball ish, right? Cause you know, on each individual possession, what's the next best option? Uh, and the challenge I think for Quinn Snyder is continuing to reiterate, especially as they get into these highly competitive shootout type games and then into the playoffs is it, is the really, you know, quote unquote, trust the system, right? Is, is to continue to let the ball ping, 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 good for great type of ideas and getting the best shots available so that the Royce O'Neal's, the Joe Ingles of the world, the Rudy Gobert's of the world are getting good kind of free looks that are getting created by the action that guys like Conley and Mitchell can create. But without, you know, if he, they devolve into one-on-one mono-mono type games, sort of the, you know, if they Russell Westbrook it, then they're going to be in deep trouble because they just don't have the guns to hang with any of these Western Conference teams. That I mean, even in the Suns, right? I mean, that's the challenge is is if you're gonna if you're if you're any of these teams in the West, you're willing to let Mitchell go mano a mano when you're when you've got CP3 and Booker on the other side doing something similar, right? I mean, and that's one of the teams that probably you're the least comfortable with, right? It's what is the Blazers? or it's Luca and the Mavs, or it's LeBron, or it's the, the big two in L.A. for the Clippers. I mean, all those guys, you're like, sure, I guess we'll go mano a mano with Donovan Mitchell. I mean, Donovan Mitchell's great, and also he's not those guys. Uh, and so that's where I think Quinn Snyder has his work cut out for him, is to continue to reiterate, like, we trust you, we believe in you, Donovan Mitchell, and also don't fall into the trap. And I, I think the way that Phoenix has played is the way that it'd be good to see Utah play a little more that way, where Chris Paul has the ball in his hands, and then he's getting the ball into Booker, and then Booker's controlling a lot of the offense, but you know it starts with CP3. Now, CP3 is one of the greatest point guards of all time. He's a different type of player than Mike Conley. Like, I, I get it's not analogous, and I, and I get to your point, Michael. Like Quinn Snyder has his his approach and his system. It's just surprising to me, you know, especially, you know, there was a piece in 538 today talking about three point guard lineups and, you know, what we're seeing, you know, Charlotte doing pre balls injury and even post to a certain degree, um, hearkening back to the mid 10 suns. Um, Ryan McDonough is doing a victory <laughs> lap right now. That's right. right. Uh, Tilly uh, traded Isaiah for Isaiah Thomas for his first round pick, but um, and got heckled got heckled about it at the Vegas Summer League <laughs> by uh, people to be named later. Uh, I, I just it's just interesting. Like you have those two point guards. I mean, if you consider Mitchell a point guard, but you have two lead guards, and they're I just when you watch them, and maybe because Conley has been hurt, they don't have the rhythm yet, but. It hasn't played the whole season, but just get it going back and forth with each other. Like that's a huge advantage to have two guys like that. And I just don't think they're taking advantage of Conley, who's having one of his best seasons, is insanely efficient offensively, 
and you know again get the ball in your efficient players hands because I, I get worried that's a little bit it's not the same but it's a little bit like what we saw earlier in the season with Zion and Ingram in New Orleans where it's like okay well Ingram's like to your point Michael's our max guy he's our guy he's our leader he can kick those tough shots but it's just like he's not someone that's gonna make everyone else better and I don't think Mitchell's that way either right I mean he and Gobert were like having a tiff last season because I mean, even before the the real falling out because of COVID, all that stuff that happened, even before that, they were at loggerheads because Mitchell, like he's not a distributor, he's not a sharer of the basketball in the way some of the other great players are. And so Gobert's like, I'm setting picks and rolling and I'm open, like give me the ball for a dunk every once in a while. Now, you know, Gobert's French, so we have to acknowledge that part of all this whole thing. But it's it's like take it with a grain of salt. But it's like Mitchell doesn't really share the ball in that way, and he's not creating for other people. It's a little bit Ingram esque, and so get the ball in the hands of the guy who's gonna like get get something going, and also share the ball to a different level because they don't really have. I mean, it's like it's really like Conley, Ingles, Bogdanovich to a certain regret, but he's more of a getting his own his own scoring. Like they really gotta get Conley the ball more and i'll say it for the 20th time get mike county the ball quinn well it's, i think it's funny you bring you bring up the pelicans i mean i think similarly what us unlocked the nuggets over the last i don't know 12 to 18 months in large part has been getting the ball in Jokic's hand and trusting him as yes both the exactly. creator the scorer the finisher point the guy, guard the like get, they, they should zion him even more he, they should, center, Gundy right? should call mike Malone and just be <laughs> Play him at point guard. I mean, it's like the Bobby Knight. It's like draft him and play him at center. Draft Jordan and play him at center. Like it isn't. It's like these are the best players. Like the and they're the guys who can make other people better. And that's the thing about basketball, is it when you can get a player who can get in the lane, create space, and really give a half man or half person advantage. So you're not even necessarily playing like four on three, but you're playing like you know, four and a half on four, you know, when they run through a pick and roll or something, and then they make the right decision off of that. And that's one thing about Harden. He's leading the league in assists. He's, he is the prototypical player like that. LeBron, Doncic, like all the guys we're talking about, like those guys all doing that. And I, I agree, like, even now, like, you should be like jacking Jokic's like usage up even higher. Like he said the ball Every time down the floor, he's incredible. I mean, he's going to win the MVP, and he's, he deserves it. And, again, we've talked about, you know, talked about Murray. Is he, you know, Kyrie Light? Is he, like, you know, a strong version of Mike Bibby? You know, I just you think with pictures guy, of Mike Bibby? I mean, that guy is jacked. <laughs> it's true. His PED cycle is on point. Sure, it was about 20 years ago. So he strong, was in Northern California. Is just Mike Bibby. A few years, few years after the Bash Brothers, so you never know. No offense, <laughs> Bibby. No offense to Mike Bibby. Um, insert disclaimer now. But, yeah, it's just it's – just, I don't think you can really even tell how good Murray is because of how good Jokic is. He's just – he's a centrifugal force. He brings everyone onto him. And you see the way Gordon has joined them. I mean, he's not – he's just kind of moving and going. I mean – I'm concerned about them in that, you know, I, I think when you're depending on Will Barton to like hit and, 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 and defend and, and, and sort of be a strong role player in a major playoff series, that would really concern me. And and that's the part of the, the Gordon tray, which is so tough. Cause they, I mean, again, it's kind of going back again and again to something, but if they just resign Jeremy, I mean, can you imagine their team with Grant as the other starter? And you had like Murray, 
Grant, Gordon, Porter, and Jokic. Like, it gives you a, another guy that you can basically, like, can guard anyone. Not Maybe not the ones, but he can guard, like, you know. I mean, Jeremy Grant can guard at least two through five. You know, Gordon can guard one through four. Like, those guys can all guard a lot of people, and they can hide the three guys you can't defend as well. And I just think Will Barton – I mean, I would be really happy if he was my sixth man behind those guys. But instead, they have Will Barton starting, and they have Jermichael Green and Paul Millsap. Because that's really – that's the crazy part about that. They took the money they didn't give Grant, and they gave it to Millsap and Jermichael Green. So it's not like – again, I, I, I harped on the luxury tax and, you know, how the um, the Waltons, you know, helped out the owner of the, of the, uh, the Nuggets and – kind of gave him a he made his own money quote unquote um but it's like they didn't need to go in the luxury tax they could just sign jeremy grant instead of those two backups what do you think if you guys were the lakers would you rather play the nuggets round one or the clippers because it's probably going to be one of the two wow (laughs) (laughs) i mean i think it rivals i'm so excited for the playoffs that's just go ahead michael go ahead it's gonna be absolute war i mean you take that one it's going to take me back to i remember watching the the 2015 the cp3 clippers then then defending champ spurs in the first round where he paul hit that floater exactly i talked about this on this podcast today but i was just i was thinking about this um, over the weekend, because I was like, I it, it it occurred to me, Derek, that you just what you just said. I mean, the Lakers are in the five seed. Our beloved Trailblazers, with a negative point differential, are in the sixth seed, and they're a game and a half back of the Lakers. And the Mavs then are three and a half back of the Lakers, uh, and two back of the Blazers. But odds are the way it's going to shake out. I think a number of different kind of projection sites have the Lakers pretty solidly in that fifth seed. And if that's the case, they're either going to play the Clippers or the Nuggets, which is just crazy to me. I mean, if I'm the Lakers, I think I lean towards, I lean towards playing the Clippers simply because it feels like, you know what you're getting a bit more, right? It's just that team has, even though they've been really good, they've just, they're pretty one dimensional to me. There's not a lot of depth to them where I, Denver Denver scares me when it comes to the playoffs just because of this addition to Gordon, because of the kind of Michael Porter Jr.'s sort of maturation, you know, surprisingly not sarcastic uh, defensively, right? I mean, the, the guy has just sort of arrived because he's been playing a lot. And, and all of a sudden you'd have four or five guys. I mean, Will Barton would probably say he's their fourth best guy, I guess. Uh, but probably fifth. Um, <laughs> Good for him. Good for him for thinking that. I agree. That's, that's I mean, yeah. Will Barton's our pick to click always. <laughs> Former Blazer, yeah. yeah I, I, I lean Clippers. Well, what I would say is the Clippers, if you ask the Clippers that question, they definitely prefer playing the Lakers over the Nuggets because the Nuggets just destroyed them this last week. I mean, it wasn't even oh, yeah, close. Okay. They didn't have Ibaka, right? So maybe, but I don't know. I mean, is Ibaka going to really be able to handle Jokic you know, that much better? Uh, than Zubac or Zubac or anyone else, you know. I, I, the biggest question for me with the Nuggets is is Mike Malone. He, you know, he came out. I think it was yesterday after their game. They they lost. I mean, they've been on a roll as we're talking about, but they they lost the Celtics in kind of ugly fashion. Kind of gave the game away, and were really upset with the refs. So like Mike Malone pulled Jokic with four minutes left, down twelve, 
it appears to send a message to him, but I'm not really clear like what the message is. It seems like it's like, we can't lose our composure. We have to like, we can't argue with the refs all the time, but Mike Mullen was like, just kicked out the game before for yelling at the refs for like giving bad calls on Jokic. So it's sort of like the, uh, it's sort of like the parent, like don't curse, don't effing curse, whatever you do. You know, it's like, it's like, where did he get it from guys? Where did, where did, where did uh, the Joker get it from? So I just get, worry when he does weird stuff like that and he sort of infantilizes his players he didn't play michael porter last year as to michael's earlier point you know it's like oh my gosh michael porter jr is now a good team defensive player and i, and I know like the advanced stats like clear like he struggled last year but he also never played i mean that was the point michael you've made repeatedly he, he mike Mullen didn't play him and like allegedly they like got rid of tory craig in the offseason just so he would had to play mpj and it's like, oh, we'll play MPJ. And like, oh, he's a good rebounder. So we can maybe play him with the four. And it's just, then their team just like, you know, took off like a rocket. And so I just, I just get concerned. I, I wonder, I mean, he got him to the conference finals last year, right? And they were very, even, you know, Davis hit that shot. You know, that series could have been a different story. Again, they could, they, sh- they probably should have lost in the first round. So where does it end up? So I, I would say, yeah, it's a great question. Who, it's still, it's just a great question. That, that like triangle of those three teams is so fascinating. I would want to avoid the nuggets, but for Malone. And I, I, I think that's the one part where I just was like, Ooh, like, is he gonna, is he gonna be able to handle this? I think it's actually a trick question. You want to drop to the seven seed and then play Phoenix in the first round. <laughs> Ew. Maybe so. I, I just I, I think that one in those the one and two seeds just don't strike a ton of fear into me and and I think everyone's obviously gettable in the Western Conference I just think that there's that much parity but uh, I think particularly Phoenix and Utah as this as the NBA's evolution continues and the the disparity between regular season sort of try hard basketball and the sort of weakness hunting that occurs in the playoffs continues to sort of this dichotomy will continue to grow i just i think there's there's some challenges that both utah and phoenix have that gives me pause you know i think all those teams have issues but you know those two particularly i don't trust as much as um you know the la teams or the or denver and, and I think there's probably some bias for me there in terms of just they've been there before or at least have players that have been there. Uh, but, again, I, I think that's uh, that'll be an interesting dynamic with a really well-established at a minimum top seven here going into the playoffs. What kind of, what kind of an upside-down NBA world is this where uh, the top two seeds no one's afraid of, but the, it's the, it's the <laughs> four, five, six – and if Enos Cantor can find the ghost of George Mikan, then the Blazers are going to be <laughs> the right there. But I think with the Clippers, Denver, it's like last year, I mean, or at least in the last couple of years, there was an argument to be made of, of if Kawhi Leonard is the best player and the guy you would fear playing the most in the playoffs uh, in light of his accolades uh, and winning titles in multiple places. But I think that with the Joker, the, presumably the MVP, there's there's definitely a new king on the block I think and so being afraid of, of if they're if they found the groove of knowing to get him the ball and get out of the way that's that can be a scary proposition so and they're they've been rolling I mean they before they lost 
they won eight in a row, I think, with you know since they got Gordon or, or went on a big winning streak post Gordon. So uh, I think they're a more dangerous team, but uh, definitely an intriguing choice there. Yeah, and I think it's something that Zach Lowe points out a lot is that Jokic is, you know, since new, he's like Nowinski. He's the he's the he's the the first sort of big guy that you can go to late in a game, and you know they can get you buckets. Uh, so they basically run the pick and roll. They get the ball to him. People move off of him, and either he has a big guy he can kind of do stuff with outside, or if he gets a switch, he just goes down and like destroys them in the paint and like you know attacks the rim from the post. And just having someone like that who also shoots free throws to a high percentage has shown you know that he'll hit he'll take and hit big shots, and um, <clears throat> you know hit his free throws and can you know, obviously pass the ball out of a double team. I mean, it's, I agree. I, I just think he's taken that step. And I think that's the difference between him and Embiid. Just, you, you know, it'll be interesting to see how Embiid to Michael's point with the playoff basketball being different, you know, how his current, you know, post injury coming back, but his, you know, near MVP this year how that translates. Cause he obviously, he did so much in that series. I mean, they barely lost that series to the Raptors. Speaking of Kawhi, I mean, they were so close that crazy shot Kawhi hit at the end to win it. Um, so, you know, I just don't know if Embiid though has that same sort of modern NBA skill set in terms of the, you know, be able to see the double team, get a mismatch, like kind of do all the things that Jokic can do. Um, and, I, and I guess, I mean, we've talked a lot about, about Utah, but I guess with Phoenix, in some of the sort of upside down nature of the lack of fear for them. I mean, it, it really seems like it's a, how good do you think Corey, you know, sorry, how Corey, how good do you think Devin Booker is and how good can, is Aiden, right? It's, it's like if Devin Booker, we talked to him a, like earlier on in the season, that it seemed like he wasn't really blossoming beyond, you know, what he had done in the past. Um, it, he has been on a, on a roll you know, recently, um, he's, he's like, again, we're criticizing these guys who are averaging like 26 a game, <laughs> just like are all stars. But again, we're just sort of at this level, you're kind of picking it sort of semi weak spots. But I guess, I mean, where do you guys come out on Booker right now? Because it seems like if Booker, if you think Booker is like, you know, a top 15 guy heading that, heading in the right direction, you know, I mean, they have the guys around him in Aiton. They have Chris Paul, even the later in his career, is still like all-star point guard, probably maybe third-team NBA point guard again. And they have Bridges, who's just like great defensively, hits threes, does everything you want in like a fourth guy. They have Crowder, who was amazing last year and, again, can guard along the front line and switch on people and hit threes. If he's shooting a good percentage, he's tough. So it really is like and they have some guys on the bench who can, you know, come in and, and do similar stuff. So it's really like how do you think about Booker and Aiton? But I guess, you know, D or Michael, where do you guys come out on those two guys right now? I, th I think Corey Booker is a wonderful senator. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I can't. I can't talk too much. He spoke at my law school graduation. Oh, he did. By the way. Nice. Yeah, I mean, everyone knew he was already going to be a senator or president at that point. But he was like, yeah, was, was he's, Rosario he's the real there? deal, man. The in person what was that was, was Rosario Dawson there too or not? No, so, yeah, I graduated from law school longer ago than I like to admit. But he, uh, in person though, he's like a different level. He's definitely it comes across, but his he definitely has the 
you know, the, that energy, you know, that connects with people. So, um, I was always yeah, surprised continue. he didn't go further as a candidate. I seriously, I was always, yeah. Um, well, I think he tries to hit on, he tried, he tried to hit on like broader theme, like whatever your politics are. He tried to hit on like broader themes in sort of almost like emotional and spiritual like terms. And I think post Obama, that was a little hard. It was like a little harder kind of argument to make, particularly, you know, in the Trump era, again, whatever your, whatever your politics might be. So I, I think that was where it got hard for him. Um, but a great documentary, if you want to see it from like years ago, was him like running for mayor. I think it was for city council, then mayor of Newark, like years and years ago. Great. It gets the current mayor. I mean, it's a really interesting dynamic. So I highly recommend that. I think it's a PBS documentary. I just, I think, I think Corey Brewer's uh, series and that Houston series a few years ago was just awesome. <laughs> I, no, I should make a documentary about it. I think oh, Corey, wait. I think Corey Kluber just Corey, retired Corey as Kluber a pitcher. Book- <laughs> I got to say, folks, you heard it here first. Corey Booker, 2024. We're calling it. <laughs> With a running mate Sorry. of Corey Brewer. Well, I think uh, that was – I think he was a close – I think he was second in 2016 for VP behind Tim Kaine. So I feel like – and he lost out in the VP stakes this time, which, you know, it's about the biggest lock you could be to be president of any VP in recent history. So, again, whatever your politics are. Now, who are we talking about before Corey Booker? What was the question? Booker. What do you think about Aiton? Like, the big center for Phoenix, do you like? I can't you talk about, about Phoenix because I, if I would have stuck to my guns and and, and call and The and, big three. And when Michael was like, wait, what do you mean Phoenix is going to be, like, an elite, a top-tier team? Are you talking, like, really top-tier? And I and I, This I is a good transition down. to predictions, I right? <laughs> I would have sole possession for – I'm. I'm tied with Spang, a uh, good friend of ours and former champion, uh, Sean Spang. We talked to her earlier tonight. Well, <laughs> listen, at least Michael picked Jokic for his MVP. Oh, wait, wait he right. just talked oh, about right. it in the predictions podcast like he did, and later it came out that he picked Doncic just like the idiot that I am. I know, Derek. I mean, you're you, you being high on Phoenix is almost as good as you being higher on Golden State than you were on Brooklyn. So it just really run running the gamut. Wait, did I say that? <laughs> can we go back to the tape? Could, can we fix that in post, can, Michael? Can we get the, the the research department on that? No, I I do think <laughs> the Phoenix... Hawks are better than the Wizards. I mean, we all have our, we all have our That's, moments. That is know? true. Take the L on that one, but I I think Booker has. I mean, he's just he's turned into sort of a, a bucket getter. And again, in the regular season, I mean, I think I withhold judgment. I'm curious to see how these guys, all these guys translate in the playoffs. Because what concerns me with their roster construction is there's a whole lot of Dario Saric or Jay Crowder at center when the playoffs come. And depending on who you're playing, that works. But depending on who you're playing, that doesn't work. I mean, right? If you're playing the Lakers or the Nuggets. Wait, say that again. Can you say it again? I, I just think there's a whole lot of Dario wait, wait, Saric. No, wait. It, it depends on who you're playing. Say that whole thing again. It, it was, it it was really wise. It works if you're playing and it works. And and it doesn't a, depending work on who you're, you're playing, playing is not going to work. <laughs> you might, it's like you the might need a whole day words and wisdom right there. Yes. Yeah. I'm trying to That's do my best in legal speak. <laughs> But I just I can't imagine what they're gonna look like in the second round of the playoffs against Anthony Davis. I just that, that 
what eight they, Michael, they have Frank Kaminsky to come in and soak <laughs> up those minutes. Soak him up. He he starts at the four. <laughs> he did. I know. Well, when Crowder was hurt, okay, Crowder was hurt. But yeah, that was. I was always like, but Frank Kaminsky's playing a lot for them. How are they going to make a run? <laughs> so I mean, they they do have Cam Johnson. I mean, that's what I'm saying. They have Cam Johnson, Bridges, Crowder. Aiton, Booker, Paul. I mean, who would you rather have backcourt? Conley and Mitchell or Booker and Paul? Well, I think Booker and Paul, certainly. I mean, the problem, the difference there is that you have Rudy Gobert at center, right? Versus DeAndre Aiton. I mean, that's the huge difference. It's, it's Aiton. It could have been Doncic. It could have been Doncic. Could it be Booker and Doncic? <laughs> the worst part is Doncic is never going to get a wingman like that ever. I mean, that's the that's the worst part. They took the big swing on Porzingis. They were getting ready for Giannis to come in their dreams, and you know Phoenix could have just said, "Okay, yeah, we have his his national team coach from his home country. Let's just bring him over, no, put him in the backcourt with no, Booker." You got to pick the guy back. from Tucson. Who literally only went to Tucson because he got a hundred grand to play there. Roots. Remember him more. It's local products. Just take us back to the regional draft, right before before there was a lottery draft. I think. <laughs> hey, I they the did get Tory Craig though. Tory Craig's playing well for them. That helps. That helps a little bit. I mean, if you're depending on Tory Craig, that's not the best. That kind of proves your point, Michael. I guess. Yeah, they don't have a lot of depth. Okay, let's just. I, but can, I, well, and their wing depth the, is interesting. But, but their wing depth is interesting. Again, I think this is where the, the Western Conference playoffs is going to be such a fun. It's going to be such a fun journey. Is is depending on how the seeds fall. This is going to be every team is beatable to me. I mean, if Phoenix matches up with the Blazers, where their weakness and strength sort of offset pretty naturally, that's a really fun series. Wait, and wait, say that again. If Portland and Phoenix match up in the first round in like a two-seven, that to me is a really fun. You, you have these basically, the, a, you have mighty might versus mighty might, right? I mean, you just have little dudes just going at it, uh, and that to me goes six oh, or seven games. Okay. Whereas, where and and neither big guys are gonna, you know, Aiton is not exactly gonna kill, you know, the weakness with, for instance, you know, Enos Cantor or something like that, right? There's no. There's no guy to take advantage. Whereas if Phoenix falls to the three seed, for instance, and it's and the Lakers fall to the six and it's three, six in the first round. I mean, Anthony Davis is absolutely going to just, it's going to be homicide in that series to me, right? It's just, you have a guy like Jokic or Anthony Davis matching up against Aiton or Frank Kaminsky or any of these little, you know, six, eight wing guys playing small ball center, Dario Sarge, even who came into the league as like a three, right? <laughs> I mean, it's just crazy. All to hail me. Hinky. <laughs> All, exactly. I mean, I just, so to me, that's what's so fun about with the playoffs coming, right? Is like there's going to be series where Utah, where like Gobert's going to be the best player on the floor, and there's going to be a series potentially where he can't play. Like, I, I don't, like, that, that that to so what, me, what I hear you saying is basically Utah and Phoenix have the same strengths and the similar weaknesses. I mean, they have go Utah has Gobert, that's different, and Booker is more physical and can score in more ways than anyone on the Jazz. But ne- neither one of them have big wings to defend that can really do it. I mean, I think the Portland's probably in that group too, right? It's like, oh yeah. I mean, what is it again, Michael? You say sometimes style make fights. No, fights make styles. Styles no, make fights. And it's, I mean, that's where the Clippers are such a fascinating team going into the 
the playoffs, right? Is is the Clippers for all of their warts have two big wings. I mean, we saw it I think in the Portland game last week is the Clippers or it was a few days ago. I mean, the Clippers can just feast on any of these teams, you know, you're playing Norm Powell at the three. The guy's six foot three. I mean, we've heard about his wingspan about a hundred times, right? He's got his <laughs> hey, arms easy. are six nine. Easy. Don't forget it. But he's still you when know, they little... play Phoenix in the first round, him guarding Booker will actually matter. So CJ could just chase bridges around everywhere. It'll be great, great for the Blazers. It's terrific. I know, but you know, when would you take to... the Blazers? Would you take the Blazers, you guys? If seven two, would you take the Blazers? Just presuming they come out of the if they drop to seven. Who would you take in terms of either Blazers 7-2 or Dallas 7-2 against Phoenix? I mean, I think both are gettable. I don't I don't I it just I think feels I'd like probably most... I'd probably pick the Blazers and then pick the Suns over the Mavericks. I mean, Doncic will probably score, but like I think they actually it's interesting. Like who who I guess is it Crow, would Crowder guard him or Bridges or Cam Johnson or some mix of those guys? Yeah, I mean, probably. See, Cam Johnson right? and Bridges and Crowder can all guard. I think they can guard the bigger wings better than they can guard Davis. But who can guard Davis? Can anyone guard? I mean, Jokic, Denver can't guard Davis. That's how they won last year. Is like none of those teams can stop Davis, right? But isn't that where Aaron Gordon? I mean, I know he's not. He's not. It's not his calling card. But, but is he... Will Barton going to guard LeBron then? I mean, that's again. That's the Jeremy Grant point. Because imagine if they had Grant and Gordon. That's if they played the Clippers or they played. You know, they played the Lakers. They have, again, those guys, it's not like Gordon and Jeremy Grant are like first team all defense. Like, they're not Pippen and Jordan, but it's just they're big, tall, athletic guys who can like hang athletically with those guys and like make them work and then just sit around on off, sit around on offense, let the other three guys score every time who were like by themselves are like the best offense in the league. I mean, that's, that's what's such a bummer about it is that that could be their team right now with Will Barton as their sixth man and worse as their backup point guard. And you could they maybe got they maybe they could get like a backup big guy you know they could get Aldridge who's probably just as good as Jamichael J- Green or okay maybe, <laughs> maybe I stop right there <laughs> after seeing after seeing Drummond just mouse in the house him dude like, and, uh, I say that as someone who's had some mouse issues recently in my house it's like that was what he did dude Drummond just I mean he did like the bully ball Grant Pujade fifth grade style he just he just just kept dribbling and he just kept going boom <laughs> boom drop step wait boom layup I, <laughs> you know, dunk it was like i hope silas I mean, that, was, that was i hope silas is listening that was a real thing yes did that. <laughs> ask your dad silas Pujade. uh we probably brought back memories of aldridge when odin was like the the two practices where he wasn't like broken down and limping was just just destroying him because Man, Aldridge is not a defensive player. He, I don't think he ever really was, but definitely not now. That was that was ugly. So, no Aldridge, but Denver with another, like, eighth man big guy. Even J.M.L. McGee. I mean, it's like that would have been a lineup to go to war with. But you're right. If da- I think it's funny about this, right? If Davis and LeBron come back fully healthy, I think we're just right back to where we started, where it's, like, them, the Clippers, and then the Nuggets with their improvement. Like that's the Troika. And it's just so, it's so weird because again, if LeBron and Davis are healthy and, and I got to give the Lakers credit, they have, they have fought, not even the Nets game to go five. They've won five out of the last 10. I mean, I, when this happened, I was laughing that they, how are they going to win anything? But their defense is still the best defense in the league without those two guys. I mean, it's incredible that like their commitment to that. And that would scare me if I was other teams is 
you know, assuming Davis and LeBron come back fully healthy, even just for the first round, like the the defense is going to be there. And it's just like if they can come back and do their thing, I think we're just right back where we started. And that that would be that would be kind of a bummer after like how fun the season is turning out to be and how fun the playoffs could be. Uh, speaking of the trifecta or the troika, we I think we should touch on the Eastern Conference briefly because uh, who who the, the Eastern Conference who, who? oh okay yeah let's do it there's one of those yeah oh. not the Eastern League uh, <laughs> might as well be so speaking of tall big just athletic in the bathroom okay. <laughs> tall big athletic big guys wait the, I said don't bring up Lamarcus anymore no no. <laughs> Oh, wait. <laughs> no, we're talking about guys under 30. We think. Oh, got it. We think. Athletic. I missed that uh, part. The Greek freak has uh, yeah. missed four games Oof. in a row. And, yeah, that was really helpful for my fantasy team, too. Like, I needed one more nail in the coffin. But, anyway, <laughs> still digress. Uh, so, I have this theory that uh, – <laughs> uh, it's more of a lighthearted theory. But the, 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 the Bucks are tanking the number one seed. <laughs> Right now, the the Sixers and the Nets are tied for number one. The Bucks are a few games back, and they don't want the pressure, the expectations of being the number one seed because it has not gone well. They mission want to accomplished. <laughs> they want to be mission under the radar. They don't. They can't take the pressure. They want to surprise people, and uh, and because he's he's resting other guys. He's resting Lopez, Coach Coach Budenholzer. <laughs> Yeah, and, and he Boonholzer, I don't understand what he does. Because I also had uh, DiVincenzo on my fantasy team, and this is what he does with him. DiVincenzo comes in, he makes three three-pointers in like a three-minute span, and then he just takes him out of the game. Does that make sense? He just sits well, the Well, does it make players. sense to me? I'll tell you something that makes sense to me. Is these NBA coaches with nicknames – that are not consistent with their like pronunciation of their last name. How is Coach Budenholzer Coach Bud? Like, his name isn't Budenholzer. You know? Hey, ends. Uh, yeah, yeah. A- ends. I think that's a great point. Hey, Louvre. Hey, Louvre. You know, it's like what? Like, how does this? You know, it's like it's like Tibbs. Oh, it's Tibbs. It's like no, his name is Thibodeau. It's like his nickname should be Thibbs. I don't understand. I mean, Dwayne Way's name is spelled D Y. W A N E. So there's just things out there. Gotta be catchy. My last name's Eni. My last name's Eni. Okay, come on. But just to be for the record, D W Y A N. Just the Y is after the W. For all of you scoring at home, he he does know how to spell Dwayne Wade's name. Wait, D W Y Y N E. Yeah, yeah. It's normally you flip. It's the Y and the A. It's confusing. I you know. It isn't spelled the way I would typically expect. It's a whole thing. That's it. Is yes. I honestly think I think Milwaukee had the chance to tank the one seed, and they said, you know what? We want to face the Miami Heat in the first round because we lost to them last year in the second round, and we want to make up for lo- – wait. I actually think that's their worst case. They're oh, like they're, they're going to have yeah. nightmares if they wake up and realize they're in a 3-6 series with Miami. Well, I well, thought like – Everyone in the Eastern Conference, they're trying to avoid the Atlanta Hawks. Yeah, I was going to so say, that's... if they're number one seed in round two, they might face the Hawks. So that is the scariest prospect Whatever of all. you can do. How's that letter coming, Michael? Don't you, you're supposed to write a letter <laughs> in rough draft form. <laughs> but it is scary about Giannis. I mean, again, mystery in, in, injury. I think there was a long piece in the Athletic by the, you know, the Bucks beat writer just trying to like 
like Zapruder film it right and just figure out like okay we have these grainy images of him like warming up before games and running gingerly it's never good when someone who appears to be you know non-human is like has a sore knee that's just kind of a scary scary deal so hopefully yeah hopefully it's part of coach Bood's uh master plan and <laughs> they're you know they're they're really trying to pull a fast one off us and rope rope a dope us. I'm a, I'm a little worried, but I did appreciate Michael that you gave a shout out to uh, my my son Josiah in his prediction was the lone remaining prediction of an MVP candidate that had a chance to win uh, in Giannis, but you failed to mention Giannis has been injured for a week. <laughs> So I appreciate you. Not your fault, giving, Josiah. It was a great Giving idea. him a hope the, and a future. The, the DraftKings <laughs> betting odds have not factored in this week. He is injury. the head of all the young guys in the league. So I, I did. He's only one behind his grandfather or one of his grandfathers. And he's in the junior division. He's dominating. <laughs> but it is. I, I, I do think this. This is going to be an interesting dynamic, I think, going into the playoffs with the con- the condensed season. I think is just such an underrated dynamic here because there's just been, I mean, the NBA is slowly turning into college football with vague, non-timed sort of injury descriptions that sort of vaguely allude to what's wrong. And there, there's a lower leg contusion that will be out. It'll be reevaluated at six weeks, right? I mean, it sounds like it's you know, it's like. Coach Peterson or Coach Cristobal describing like how the long snapper is doing out of spring camp or something. It's like super vague and there's no obligation to report it. I mean, I just, I, it makes me harken for the good old days when you got a, a clear delineation for when someone's going to return from an injury. Um, and, and I don't, I don't necessarily blame teams for this at this point. I do think, and especially when you're dealing with the wear and tear of a shortened season uh, and you have some of these guys that, that have injury histories, less so Giannis, but a few of these other guys, you you do want to treat it um, gingerly as, as the playoffs approach. But I'm curious just to see if we can get to a playoffs with something that resembles being full strength. I mean, that, you know, all of the contenders to some degree or another – uh, have had these injury issues, and and if you continue, if we continue to have them, is this going to be a big bummer? If you know you have a matchup of teams that are going to be unequal because of the injury issues, I mean that to me just it, it bums me out to think about. Um, unless you're a Blazer fan, unless you're a Blazer fan, that's the road Michael has been saying. Before we all people started to actually get vaccinated, it always involved someone getting COVID really bad on the other top Western Conference teams. So thankfully, it's gotten less morbid. Hopefully, it's not a life-threatening injury. But yes, the Blazers may may uh, may benefit from that. I, I have. To, oh, sorry. I I have to add one more thing here because Giannis, he's not at the at the level of Anthony Davis of being somewhat reckless on the course. On the court, excuse me, but he's pretty close, meaning that if the sports body science is guys who fall to the ground more, they do get more injuries. Wait, is that Bra- official? Brandon Roy, that, Dwayne, wait, I can. Is I can, that doctor? Is this doctor no, Love? There, or is this? 
this is this is my uh, opinion based on watching a lot of basketball games, but I think I could find a scientist out there to back me up on this. The first Lovegren corollary, just so I got it clear, is if grounds. you fall on the ground more, you're more likely to get hurt than if you fall less. What I'm saying is these guys need to exercise better body control. So if I were the Bucks, I would also be taking a cautious approach. He just bowls into players when he's driving to the basket, and Davis goes jumping into the the you third row. You sound like row. James Harden criticizing his basketball game right now. It's... I'm losing my train of thought now with all these interactions. <laughs> no, no, D's not saying he shouldn't play hard. He's just saying, yeah, I don't blame yeah, him for bo- being. I think body control cautious. is a skill. It is get a skill. more skilled. Learn to shoot so you don't have to run into guys so much. They just need to get show him show Davis a clip of how many times he's do- dove into the stands and say, do you think this is a good idea? Is there longevity here? You need to think about your teammates. We don't need that possession. And uh, Greg Fig, when, when he goes – He's been coasting on defense when, for seven straight years. You sound like Kevin Durant, D. <laughs> you just want him to be his best self. <laughs> Who cares about championships? And those offensive fouls are not helpful when the Greek freak goes bowling into guys too. So, well, he does. I mean, I, I mean, maybe to go full harden on him, it, he does rely so much. I mean, Giannis even more than Davis re- relies on his athletic ability. So it is like, again, like if he has a, a knee, even if it's you know not a bad knee, it's anything that like limits his his ability to attack is going to really you know impact him and. In his game. I get I, before I get to like maybe a final question for you guys. Uh, well, just well to I do the D final Love. questions around here. The truth. <laughs> have you finished your monologue? Is it done? No. Is that your? Do you have anything more? <laughs> no, but I can't do the Eastern Conference line because we've already talked about the Greek freak. So <laughs> you're done. <laughs> I finished with the monologue. The longest monologue in history. <laughs> but I guess. Maybe not the last, last question. I'll turn that back over to D. But my final question for you two is pick one team that will benefit the most from a playoff schedule. So, you know, presumably more rest, um, you know, just sort of playoff basketball too, right? And then one team that will – Is it more rest? I mean, there's not back to backs, but you're literally playing playoff basketball every other night. There's no more. You, you guys remember there'd be those. I think it's times been pretty you, bad though for some of those teams. Like how many games? Three, three, three night break or whatever. Like you know, game five of a first round series or something. And you have the cumulative effect of a, of a long, shortened, uh, you know, packed in. Yeah, season, I think it's so. been okay. So. Is this kind of like D loves Doctor Lovegren's corollary that if you fall more, <laughs> you're gonna get hurt more? I'm not sure. So whatever way you take the fatigue factor, but just which team is gonna improve the most going into the playoffs versus how they play in the regular season, and one team that'll play worse? I will say on the worst front, I think you asked earlier if. I would take Portland or Dallas in a Phoenix series. And I think my concern with both Portland and Dallas is they're so that offensive strategy that is so, so heavily revolving around both Lillard and Doncic is, you know, harking back to sort of the Harden Houston mm-hmm. Rockets. 
you know, I, I think when you play that style in a, such a compounded environment where you're, you play seven games in 14 days and you see it over and over again, coupled with the, just the physical toll that playing that way takes on some of these guys, particularly a guy like Lillard, as great as he is there, there seems to be just at a certain point you hit, you hit your limit. And I think that to me is what would concern me about. There's just not a lot of depth on some of those teams. Now the Norm Powell trade actually to me moves the needle on that front. So I guess we'll see how, how that offense evolves. But um, I, I do think the teams ahead of them have a bit more diversity of offensive talent that makes me feel more comfortable um, for that particular weakness. I'd say the, the Lakers with age and fragility, they will benefit the most from uh, not having back-to-back games. So I'd say the Lakers for that. I think my I think the biggest benefit for me would be would be Brooklyn. I, I think having just so much offensive firepower and those three guys and then having what I have ultimately assembled like quite a bit of depth. I mean none of those guys you're gonna write home about. Wait, wait what? what? All, you know That's like me saying Aldridge could have been Denver's eighth man. <laughs> no, you're right. It's a good point. No, I just think they you they have five or six guys. We quit we can't that, quit Aldridge, man. No. But I do. I just. I think that's a really interesting team in a playoff environment because, you know, talent tends to win in the playoffs, and it's not like a revolutionary statement. Wait, but wait. I think what, what? With, with the <laughs> you have dropping a lot of gems today, dear. Hey, These are, I'm the one who's. Th- I'm the are, one who's running three hours later here, guys. Okay. I just think. <laughs> I just think having the amount of offensive firepower that those guys have, not in like a systemic way, but just the the sheer talent that all three of them have individually is going to translate in the, in the playoffs where it's almost, you know, they become unguardable at certain times. And that to me, it's almost the opposite of this. Some of the system issues that maybe Harden ran into when he was in Houston. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how it all kind of evolves because, you know, if all three of those guys, again, I think I'm actually coming back to Derek, your perspective that the Eastern conference is probably a little more wrapped up than, than I think I was hoping it would be just with how good those guys are when they've been playing together as Durant has come back. I mean, that they're just, it's like in, in fuego whenever they're, those three guys are playing together. Well, I like that, Michael, because it's the inverse, right? You're saying like multiple big time scorer creators is better than having one scorer creator. And I think, yeah, I, I think that one thing for me, I realized is are, are we making assumptions about, injury returns of some of these guys where like how hurt are they i mean again Kyrie comes in and out of games it seems like on a whim so i think he could i assume he'll be ready the entire playoffs durant's been out for a long time he's back you know Hart, but harden's still out davis still out lebron's still out i mean beads back which is great but it's like i don't i just don't know like i mean it's just gonna be interesting i mean i assume all these guys are gonna be ready to go but it's also like then how hurt are they are they really hurt i just that's the part that's still confuses me but yeah d is there anyone that you think will be hurt going into the playoffs just with their style of play or their approach or you think will underachieve well the blazers i think need um could benefit if from they need some of the uh older teams to be more fatigued and worn out a little bit so uh maybe i'll put them for the uh was it the worst or the yeah you know what i'm going for 
<laughs> that's my that's my final question. <laughs> Over to you, D. Okay. All right, guys. Uh, trivia time. Oh, I had do it. I had a conversation with our uh, the head of the research department, Brian Petermeyer. Well, we we had a text conversation. I think we ironed out all the issues. It's all water under the bridge now. He wanted me to uh, take responsibility for my poor delivery of the screen assist questions, which I thought I'd delivered perfectly, but I was willing to hear him out. Way to manage uh, up. You really didn't sell it. You didn't really sell it, D. No, 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 it was a fair criticism. My line of work, we we always say you have to fall on the sword a lot. So I was willing to fall on the sword. It's good account management, D. It's a good. It's good account management. Customer is always right. If you're admitting you're falling on the sword, though, that's the real question. Well, we can edit that part later. Maybe it's a good point. But to the question, and sorry, guys, uh, where are we with standings? Two point. Two point lead. lead. We've gotten it wrong the last two weeks, and we always guess the same thing. So this is (laughs) incredible (laughs) podcasting, right? It's not a makeshift operation. Hopefully, uh, if you've listened to the podcast this many times, you can tell the difference between me and Michael. We are brothers. It makes <laughs> sound sort of alike, but uh, continue, D. Well, in light of uh, so many players that have scored 50 point, had 50-point games of late, this is a question on that topic. Who of these four players over their career had the most 50-point games? There's actually... Um, well, so there's one active player in this, but uh, I'll name him here for you. First choice would be, well, we'll start with the active player, James Harden, Allen Iverson, Michael Jordan, or Kobe Bryant. Which of those guys had the most 50 games over their the span of their careers, in Harden's case, currently? So it's Harden, Iverson, Jordan, and Kobe. Who was the four? Kobe. Man. That's a, I, I mean, kudos to the research department for, for pulling this one out. I mean, I'm surprised Steph isn't even on the list. He went for 52 tonight. Uh, Does the research department need to double check that? <laughs> no. No. There's been no errors in the history of the research department. There was one controversial one up for dispute. Otherwise, there has been no errors. Yeah. D wants to just, he wants to remind everyone that error was actually Brian Petermeyer's fault, chief of research, but Derek's going to fall on the sword and take responsibility for it. No, no, so don't, don't try to stir up more controversy. <laughs> We're all trying to get on the same page here. Oh, okay. So most 50 point games in a career. I am going to go with Kobe being Bryant as my selection. Boring. Thank you, boring, Michael. Boring. Are you going to copy me again? We should, we should start write our answers out. Yes. That's, that's my selection as well. I'll walk through my thinking to then Derek can tell me why it was wrong. But I, uh, I think Jordan was the other one, but obviously I kind of feel like that's the obvious choice. Um, for Iverson, I just, you know, he, he had, I'm sure he had many a night like that, but just, I think trying to maintain that for his entire career was difficult at his size. Um, so yeah, I go with D, uh, Kobe RIP. Wait, before you, before you tell us the answer, Derek, your second choice, Ryan was going to be Jordan. Yes. Cause my second choice was going to actually be Harden. 
That's my think, third choice. I think in the era of of the hand checking rules that changed in 04 and then the advent of the three pointer, I think I mean it's like the the reason I would lean Harden is the reason I would I, I think Iverson would totally get shafted on this one is just I don't think there was enough volume, but a lot of long um, twos. Yeah. A lot of long twos, a, you and know, a smaller, lot of physicality. Uh, less so, possessions. So, you know, maybe we'll get half points if our second choices are uh are right. But D, without further ado. I think this is sort of a sucker question here um, because the obvious answer in this one was the right answer, as Ryan alluded Jordan. to. It is Michael Jeffrey Jordan. 31 games of uh, 50 or more points. Kobe was second with 25. James Harden had 23, has 23. Allen Iverson was way down the list with 11. So good job on ruling him out. But uh, <laughs> God, we're so smart. It's a little kind of a tantalizing question there. That was nice work. That was a nice presentation. Kudos to uh, Peter Meyer. Oh, that didn't come from Peter Meyer. That was me. I don't know where. I haven't, I haven't seen his questions this week. I don't know. That's good. Hey, that's good management. Take 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 the responsibility when it goes well. But uh, fall on the sword. Kudos to the department. There's no eye in uh, research. Obviously, a little drama and controversy is still good for the pod. So uh, I'll just keep stirring it up. <laughs> all right guys i have no one to apologize because we had no guests lined up tonight but i'm sure we'll get someone next week thank you next time that's all the time we have for today thanks for joining us at the three and d love nba podcast we'll be back next time but until then remember throw it down big man this isn't just a great podcast it's a triumph of the human spirit